0: Wasn't that special this morning? Boy, I'm so grateful to the whole team, uh, to Natasha and her uh, vocal ability. It's so great to have Jeff Askew and his beautiful wife, Carrie, with us today. Uh, they've, they've been critical in uh, getting us here, and it's just a joy to have them. Uh, if you're visiting today, my name's Scott. I'm one of the pastors on staff, and this morning we're going to talk about children a little bit uh, from a different angle than you've ever imagined Uh, I remember growing up as a child, a grandchild, the beneficiary of ridiculous generosity from my grandparents. Uh, They had a cabin up in Big Bear, Arrowhead area in Southern California, took us up there all the time. They took us to Big Sky, Montana frequently. They took my sister and I also, an unforgettable trip to Mammoth. And I remember being in the back of my grandfather's car as as a... freshman in high school, just beside myself, that I got to enjoy such extravagant generosity from my uh, grandfather. And maybe it was just that I had a Big Mac in my hand and some fries, but for me, it was way more than I could have ever imagined. He was so gracious and kind. Whenever we got to be around him, it was like we were the most important people in his life. And uh, I know you probably have someone in your life that treated you like that. We got to be kids. We got to enjoy uh, his protection, his generosity, um, his thoughtfulness. And it was just a safe place to be always. I have the greatest memories of being raised by Joe Cadwell, my uh, grandfather. Uh, I don't know if you enjoy some of the uh, children's clips uh, on YouTube, I saw this one recently. It's kids at a zoo, and it just captured for me uh, what it means to feel safe. You'll see from this footage that uh, these kids, though they don't look like they're safe, they're quite safe and protected for. Check this out. Keep turning up. Gosh. <laughs> <laughs> what is he doing? Don't don't put your tongue on it for real, okay? <laughs> yeah. And what's she doing? <laughs> I'm an adult. I think I would do that. That looks fun. This is my favorite one. Yeah. I don't mind sharing. I don't want a giraffe sticking his tongue in my beverage. Thank you, Naomi. Don't you appreciate those innocent times when you get to be with kids? When you yourself got to be a kid and enjoy some of the freedoms of uh, of your parents or grandparents' uh, generosity, provision, safety. They're great times. And I want to suggest today that uh, we can still enjoy, as adults, this kind of provision, this kind of generosity, this kind of safety uh, that is made possible because uh, you really matter to God. In fact, today, the point I want to drive home today is this, you matter. And you matter because he matters. You matter because he matters. Because of who Jesus is, you Truly matter. Uh, no matter who you are, you're God's child. You're His beloved. And uh, this John, the author of the book we're going to look at, we're going to look at a very unique uh, story coverage of the life of Jesus. I think it's unique because he takes a different angle than any of the other writers. John is one of my very favorite authors. He wrote this book for this purpose so that you might believe that Jesus is the Messiah, and that you might have life in his name. That you might have life in his name. Jesus said, the thief came to steal, kill, and destroy. I came that you might have life and have it more abundantly. John wanted to make certain that you had the evidence to believe that Jesus was the Messiah, and he wanted to make certain that you were enjoying life to the fullest, personally. And I want to talk, yes, David, and I want to talk about that, This morning, how you enjoy life to the fullest. John is my favorite author, I think, in the whole New Testament. He was the disciple whom Jesus loved. And I would like to think if I hung out with Jesus a lot, he would also love me. And I would have this idea that he loved me more than the other disciples, even if it wasn't true. That literally is how John described himself. I'm the disciple whom Jesus loved. For some reason, he just thought he was Jesus' favorite. How many of you in your home think you're the favorite? Anyone? Yeah, I think it's a good place to be, whether it's true or not. If you believe it, it's probably good for you, personally. It was good for John. John was given a unique uh, direction after Jesus' uh, resurrection and ascension. John's responsibility, first, was to care for Jesus' mother. That was his responsibility first uh, responsibility as Jesus resurrected. That's a unique uh, job description from all the other followers of Christ, all his other co-workers. John had a real temper problem at one point. Uh, He wanted to take out a community that didn't show respect to Jesus, and Jesus got onto him for that. But he became the disciple of love. Uh, He became the disciple of caring for people, and he became a prolific writer. He, was, uh, he traveled throughout the Mediterranean and continued to care for Mary in what is modern-day Turkey. He uh, not only wrote several books that are in the New Testament, five of the 27 that we have, uh, but he was the only disciple to not be martyred. <laughs> of all of his Jesus' closest followers, it's only John that wasn't martyred. And I don't know about you, but if I've got a chance to escape martyrdom, I'm interested. Uh, there was something about this guy that, um, that was unique. He was, by most scholars' position, he was a centenarian. He lived to be over 100 years old, pre-modern-day medicine. God gave him this gracious gift of long life. And what I think John tries to convince us here uh, in the first chapter is that we matter because he matters. Uh, you matter because God matters. And I'm going to walk you through the first uh, 14 verses and give you a chance to just really see from John's standpoint, uniquely, uh, why uh, you matter. And you matter because he matters. That's what we're going to look at. John chapter 1. If you came this morning uh, with a smartphone, you can Google just John 1. It should come up. Uh, Or if you want a Bible, raise your hand. We'll get one to you. You could keep it as our gift to you. John 1. Here it is. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word uh, was with God, and the Word was God. <laughs> what did he say? In the beginning was what? The, the Word. <laughs> and the Word was with whom? And the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Who was with God in the beginning? He was. Through Him, all things were made. To everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. Let's repeat that again. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision, or of a husband's will, but born of God. These are children unique. They are what? They are born of, that's descriptive of what it means to be a child of God. Verse 14, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son, who came from the father, full of grace and truth. You matter because he matters, and he has mattered from the beginning. Jesus mattered from the beginning. Here John uses a uh, word from from a philosopher's glossary. He uses the word logos to describe who it was that was in the beginning. He says, the logos was in the beginning. In the beginning, if I were to read verse 1 again, in the beginning was the logos... And the Logos was with God, and the Logos was God. Here, John, local Galilean fisherman, is borrowing words from 6th century Greek philosophy. And the language he's choosing is referencing the divine reason, uh, the plan which coordinates a changing universe. Uh, The Logos was the vision of what something was supposed to be. Uh, Someone had a vision of what this fancy table was supposed to be, where you could uh, sit, you could place a book uh, on its shelf if it was thin enough. Uh, Someone had a vision of what that was supposed to be. Uh, That vision is called the logos. It's the end in mind. It's also that which controls the vision. Here, John is saying that in the beginning was the logos, and that logos was Jesus, Wow. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Let me just ask you, if Jesus is the Logos, the one who coordinates a changing universe, the one who has the end in mind, how much faith do you have in his ability to work in your context and to help you, and especially your loved ones, to become what God intended them to be? I was thinking about this with some of the men that I meet with regularly. We were talking about how God uh, responds to our prayers, uh, what we do that gets in the way of God hearing our prayers, and what we perhaps hold on to that gets in the way of our experiencing Jesus, uh, who was from the beginning, the Logos, and this is what we're learning. Uh, we think that moving forward in our relationship with God requires a, an admission sometimes that though we do believe We need help from God to increase our faith. There was one person who had a son that was struggling with demon possession. And Jesus said, do you believe? And he said, yes, I believe, but help me with my unbelief. Uh, We acknowledge that sometimes trusting in Jesus is tough. And we need more faith. Faith is a gift, you know. Uh, And it's appropriate to pray, God, increase my faith. So that in this situation, I can trust you more increase my faith not only is admitting to God that I need more faith important, but sometimes replacing our <laughs> our lesser activities with more important ones will help us draw closer to God to Jesus. And sometimes our lesser activities are <laughs> not an hour of sports center but three hours of sports center, or sometimes our our lesser activities might be um, you know wasting time. Uh, <laughs> Uh, Just sitting around, not being effective, not doing anything, maybe just sitting around and complaining about how things are, Uh, or wasting time watching some other television program that just goes on and on and on. Uh, Replace lesser activities with just a minute or two of something that could really move the needle forward in your life personally, sitting down with a child and praying uh, with them. Going to their bedside while they're asleep and praying for them. Putting your hand uh, on their uh, shoulder and praying for them. Uh, Replace a lesser activity with something that could really move the needle forward in your personal life. If you're married, uh, before you go to bed, take a minute and just pray together. (laughs) Sometimes that's a great thing to do, especially when you've had a little confrontation. Uh, A minute of prayer. Replace a lesser activity with something more substantial. It, it's a minute, it's two minutes. I like to pray with Mrs. Matthews every morning before we go to work. It's not like she just runs down the hallway and says, oh, won't you lead me in prayer? It's just a moment together. Sometimes we're, we haven't had enough coffee yet, and, uh, but it's just taking her hand, saying a little prayer, going on with our day. If you're not married, you have a good friend, uh, someone that you can go to, boy, take, seize a moment and pray with them. These are just a couple ways that we can ensure that Jesus is becoming a part of our everyday life. Sometimes what will be a barrier in my faith is that there's somebody that I've offended. Someone that I've really got, uh, I did something that got under their skin. And I know about it. (laughs) They're offended and I'm ignoring it. (laughs) I just want them to get over it. When I have the power to actually go and talk to them and ask for forgiveness and see if there's something I can do to help move our relationship forward. Uh, Jesus talks about uh, leaving your gift at the altar and going and reconciling with your friend and then coming back in and worshiping God. Maybe there's a friendship that you want to work on that is out of whack, uh, that can sometimes get in the way of your relationship with Jesus. Uh, Finally, um, sometimes there's just pure hypocrisy in your life. We know as Americans, we can't stand hypocrites, and yet sometimes we can be hypocrites One of thems. (laughs) And sometimes there's stuff going on in our life that we're not willing to deal with. We're not willing to be honest to God with. Um, And we need to. We need to own it. We need to say, hey, I'm I'm sick of all this coveting. I'm sick of all this jealousy that's going on in my life. I'm sick of all this lust. I'm sick of all this criticism. Um, I'm sick of all this worry. Uh, And just say, God, I want to start trusting in you more. Please help me. Please forgive me. Help me move on. This is how you do it. This is how you move forward in trusting Jesus, the Logos, he who was uh, in the beginning. You matter because he matters. Uh, Jesus mattered from the very beginning. Ironically, you matter from the very beginning. Did you know even before your body was formed in the womb of your mother, you mattered to God? The psalmist wrote it this way. Your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. These are God thought God's thoughts for you from the beginning. From the beginning, you were God's child. You matter today because you're God's child. You're his child. You're his grandchild. You're his beloved. He adores you. Uh, you mean so much to him. In uh, John the latter parts of chapter one, Jesus is meeting a couple guys he's gonna be with for uh, 60 years. He's gonna be working close with them uh, or actually it's more like 30, uh, 35 years, 40 years and uh, they're Peter and Nathaniel and uh, the first one is Peter who's introduced to Jesus by Andrew. Uh, Andrew says, this is my brother Peter and Jesus speaks into Peter's life though he's never met him Face to face, uh, Jesus says, you're Simon, son of John. You will be called Cephas, which when translated is Peter. He had a view, a vision for the trajectory of Peter's life there. Peter had no idea Jesus was going to teach him everything there was to know about good fishing and that Peter was going to be his ambassador, not just to Jerusalem, but to Rome eventually someday. When you're God's child, God has that kind of trajectory for you as well. Nathaniel, uh, this is uh, Nathaniel came to meet Jesus, and when he met Jesus in chapter one, uh, Jesus said, "Here truly is an Israelite in whom there's no deceit." He knew that as it related to Nathaniel, that uh, Nathaniel was above reproach; um, there was no guile in him. And Nathaniel says, "How do you know me?" Nathaniel asked. Jesus answered, "I saw you while you were under the fig tree before Philip called you." He had a birds-eye view of Nathaniel's life. <laughs> his tapping into his omniscient ability. Jesus knows his children. He knows what kind of forecast is in their life. To those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, born of God. Verses 13 12 and 13 in chapter 1. If you have a pen, you should underline this verse. Verses 12 and 13. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Do you view yourself as God's child? Do you view yourself as someone God will show favor to and generosity to? Do you try to act and become like someone that reflects the characteristics of God's children? How do you do this? Boy. Firstly, you pray constantly and you watch how your father responds. Jesus said, if you then, who are evil, know how to good give gifts to your children, I, your heavenly father, will knows how to give good gifts to my children. God knows how to give great gifts to his kids. And he wants us to have a prayerful, hopeful, faithful willingness to trust him to be the gift giver in our lives. Maybe that's... Uh, an area for you to grow in to really trust God, the gift giver, the other is to follow the Spirit willingly. This means like a child, not knowing uh, what you want initially, uh, but you you trust the Holy Spirit to lead you, and you follow him. You follow the Spirit as He leads you daily, even when it 's tough and sometimes i 've experienced when the spirit 's leading me, I often don 't want to go that direction. <laughs> It's a, it's a burden. It's like, oh, geez, do I have to? That sounds exhausting. But when I follow and I do what I'm supposed to, wow, it's a, it's a huge win for me. <clears throat> to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children born of God. There's an athlete that's getting national attention right now, uh, not only because he's breaking records, but because of his childlike faith that is all about giving Jesus glory. It's Golden State Warrior, Stephen Curry. Interestingly, this, uh, this point guard, uh, Stephen Curry, was recently passed by Nike for an endorsement because he didn't fit Nike's profile. Nike's profile is a phenom athlete, according to SportsCenter. Uh, they like the, the Michael Jordan type where... Uh, Young athletes look up to someone and they all want to be like him, but there's no chance of their ever being like him. Okay? A Tiger Woods perhaps is another example of a Nike endorsed athlete. With Stephen Curry, the reason Nike backed off of him is because he wasn't the typical phenom athlete. He's not the 6'7 guy. Uh, He's not huge. Um, He's, if I recall correctly, he's 6'2, slight build. He just struggles to miss 40-foot shots. He, 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 and he not only takes incredible three-point shots, he does them faster than anybody. He broke his own three-point record this year, and what's crazy about him is he is unashamedly interested in being God's child and giving all glory to Jesus Christ. It's ridiculous how he does this. He, he, wrote, he writes on his shoes, <laughs> Um, I can do all things, uh, and Nike passed on him. He's getting such press that uh, Morgan Stanley very recently did a projection on how much money Nike missed out on. They have most of the market of endorsements. Morgan Stanley uh, did a uh, an analysis to see how much money Nike actually passed on uh, because Stefan wasn't the premier athlete. Uh, under Armour actually took on Stephen Curry. Morgan Stanley projects that Nike is missing out on a meager $14 billion. As in, I didn't say billion accidentally. $14 billion because people are rallying around this athlete who's not a phenom ability. He just doesn't miss critical shots. And uh, he's getting lots of attention and he gives all the credit to God. How do you know you're a child of God? You give all the credit to God. Whatever you're doing, you want him to get the glory and to get all the praise. You matter because you're God's child. So receive God's son, believe in the name of Jesus, and you'll be born of God. You matter because you're God's child. You matter to the glorious one. Jesus is the glorious one. He is the one that was given all the glory in the first century. I can't imagine what it must have been like for John and the apostles to be with Jesus. I often sit around and think, what must it have been like to just be with him? We've had a couple opportunities in the last 20 years through uh, gifted artists and even um, um, forensic work to get a picture of maybe what Jesus looked like. Um, These are just renditions, okay? So don't go home and say, I saw the glory of Jesus today, okay? Uh, I shared this one with you in the past. Um, I shared with you Ikanie Kumareks, Prince of Peace, her rendition of Jesus. She was a four-year-old Lithuanian who moved to Illinois and without any training, just started doing art. She got she now has international attention as an untrained artist who, who wasn't raised in the church. She just got visions of what she thought Jesus looked like uh, starting at age four and started just going to work on it. And what's ironic about this image is that this the boy who has a work written for him called uh, 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 it's called something, uh, maybe you guys remember it, what is it? heaven is for real, that boy saw this Jesus and said, that's him. <laughs> I've seen him. <laughs> I have a friend whose son is in his 30s now. He's been a paraplegic since his uh, since he was 19 uh, in a car accident. He had an afterlife experience. When he saw this, a Kanye uh vision of Jesus, he said, that's him. <laughs> it doesn't mean it's him, but that's the That's the image they have. Now, some of my friends say, okay, that looks like an awfully Caucasian Jesus. Of course, uh, that's how it would be. But check this Jesus out. Now, before we move on, don't show it yet, Naomi. This Jesus you're about to see was actually developed by a lab at at UCLA practicing modern-day forensics. What they did is they took the Shroud of Turin out of Italy that is derived from Jesus, they believe, was the actual shroud from Jesus' tomb that uh, when Jesus resurrected, all the light from his resurrection actually projected his body on this shroud. And UCLA uh, has lab students have actually taken that projection from the shroud and developed what they think is who it was in that, who was actually in that shroud. And this is what they produced. Just, I mean, I'm not saying you've seen him today. I'm just saying, can you imagine getting to be around him (laughs) and beholding his glory in the first century? It would have just been a ridiculous experience. When you've seen Jesus uh, face to face, it changes everything, and uh, you start to get how much you matter. Uh, When you know you matter, others start to matter to you. You matter because he matters. You matter because he matters. When you know how much he loves you, others around you start to take a real high place in your life. At the end of John's ministry, uh, the Apostle John, when he was preaching, they used to actually carry him into services. Uh, this was pre-modern day disability access. Uh, they would carry him into the services services. And he would preach a sermon. This was his sermon. I'll share it with you in its entirety. Here it is. Brethren, love one another. The deacons, by tradition, would come to him and say, John, do you have anything else to say? And he would say, sure. Brethren, love one another. So, The deacons came back to him and said, hey, do you have another sermon? And he said, is there anything else to say? But brethren, love one another. You matter, folks, because of who he is. He matters. Jesus was from the very beginning. He was part of the creation team. We believe that. You matter because you're God's child. And if if you view yourself as God's child and you haven't yet, why not receive God's son? <laughs> Make him a part of your life. And you matter because God's glory wants to shine through you. <laughs> How do you let God's glory shine through you? It's this way. Uh, you, you say the same thing that John said once, John the Baptist, that is, he, he must increase. I must decrease. He must increase, I must decrease. When you have that kind of posture, you're letting God shine right through you. Imagine yourself really fully realizing that you're a child of God. Imagine yourself uh, in complete harmony with the one who mattered from the very beginning. Imagine yourself becoming a conduit through whom God wants to just show off through you. You don't have to be a great three-point shooter. (laughs) Uh, You don't have to have a contract with Under Armour. (laughs) You just have to be someone that says, hey, God, you get all the glory. You use the tools I've got. I'll give you the best I got. And you watch what he does. You watch what he did in John's life. You become someone that knows they matter. You become someone that cares deeply about the matter, the welfare of others. And you'll be following the pathway of an apostle who changed the Roman world. If you've never made a decision to receive God's son, why not today? (laughs) You matter because you're God's child, so why not receive God's son? Um, When you receive his son, you become a co-heir of Jesus. If you've never made that decision, why not now? And say, I believe that Christ died for my sins on that cross. I'm ready to make him the leader of my life today. If that's you, I want to lead you in a prayer to that right now. Pray with me, won't you? Heavenly Father, thank you for this Passage of scripture that reminds us that uh, we matter, but we matter because your son matters. Thank you for the reminder that your son Jesus has mattered from the beginning, from, from creation. God, thank you for this reminder that we matter because we're your children. Moreover, God, thank you for this reminder that your glory matters. We want you to get it through what we do. If you're here and you've never received God's Son, you realize you're God's child, you've never received His Son, and you're ready to today, right from where you're seated, I just want to ask you to say with me, just pray this prayer. God, I believe in the name of your Son Jesus, the Son of God, who died for my sins and was raised from the dead. I believe in Him. Again, if you're ready to make that decision, Right from where you're seated, simply pray with me. God, I believe in Jesus Christ, your one and only son, who died for my sins and was raised from the dead. And if today's your day, this is the special day, the 15th of May, where you're you're ready to own this decision, I want to ask you right from where you're seated to acknowledge your decision to me and just raise your hand and say, yeah, today's my day. Today's the day I chose to make Jesus the leader of my life. Anyone? Just raise your hand. I want to celebrate with you. Anyone? Okay, there's one hand. Anybody else saying, yeah, today, I'm in. Okay. Heavenly Father, thank you for your generosity. Thank you that we know we matter. Help us convey to others how much they matter. Amen.